Hey, Nick Fountain here. I'm a producer here at Planet Money, and I'm just stepping in to tell you that today's show was originally reported back in 2018. One of my faves. Hope you enjoy it. This is Planet Money from NPR. Last week, Elsa and I found ourselves in a store down in Chinatown here in New York. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Whoa. This ginseng. Ginseng. It's this small, light brown, sort of bumpy root. You can find it in pretty much any Chinatown anywhere in the country. Just on this one street alone, there are tons of places, like this one, stocked with this root. Whoa. $798 per pound. Wait, look on the right here. $998 a pound. Julie and I are staring at this locked glass case displaying different trays of ginseng. Is this 1,180 per pound or per ounce? Per ounce? Seems like a lot of money, especially if you spin around and you look at the bins in the back of the store filled with ginseng. But that ginseng is only going for $9 an ounce. Okay, so this is the affordable stuff. This is in the Elsa Chang budget category. Okay. The roots we're looking at, they look very similar to me. They look like tiny yams. (laughs) Yeah, they're both the same color, kind of beige. They both came out of the ground. The skins on both look kind of knobby and bumpy. But there's this huge price difference. Which is because of one main difference in the roots. And that is that the expensive stuff, the stuff that's in this locked glass case going for a 1000 an ounce, that is wild ginseng. Wild ginseng has been used in Chinese medicine for thousands of years. It's said to treat anything from fatigue to cancer. Yeah, like just over Christmas, I had this terrible cold, and my mom kept pumping thermosfuls of ginseng tea into me day after day. To some people, like your mom, ginseng is the ultimate healer. But specifically, what people want is wild ginseng. And they're willing to pay thousands more dollars for it. What difference does it make when I eat it? Uh, more expensive and more health, uh, more strong. It'll make me stronger? Yeah. And like the root is more potent? Yeah. So this label wild, it seems to make all the difference, Julia. The label wild suddenly assigns to the root all these potent healing powers, and it causes a huge jump in price. Which got me wondering, who gets to decide what's wild and what's not? Because whoever gets to decide that is essentially deciding who gets to make the most profits in this business. And this business is barely regulated. So it makes for some pretty interesting dynamics in the industry. Yeah, and I've been looking into this for a few months. And what I found was that people will lie for ginseng. People cheat for ginseng. They even steal ginseng. And in one case I found, one man even murdered for ginseng. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Julia DeWitt. And I'm Elsa Chang. Today on the show, we travel out to the woods of Appalachia, where some of the ginseng grows wild and some does not. Attempts to pass one off for the other can lead to a lot of hijinks. The chance to make big profits without a lot of rules has spawned a dark side to the ginseng business. We'll meet one man caught in the middle. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor LinkedIn Learning. A lot of things are changing in our professional lives, so LinkedIn Learning wants to give you a hand with skills that can help you and your career. They have more than 16,000 courses taught by industry experts. Learn skills like how to master working from home, entrepreneurship foundations, or how to be a resilient leader, to name a few. So keep learning the skills you need to rise to any moment and try one month free at linkedinlearning.com slash planetmoney. For James McBride, racism in this country has been a disease. It's been the cancer that has just been killing us. And now we want to address the problem. I mean, you can't address the cancer until you know you have it. And these people are seeing the cancer. Author James McBride on protests, a pandemic, and his new book. Listen to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I get in my car in New York and I head south to Appalachia. Ginseng is native to a few places in the world, like China, also Siberia, and the Appalachian Mountains in the United States. What I want to talk to someone about is the good stuff, that wild American ginseng. There are a lot of people out in the mountains who gather wild ginseng, but they're not easy to find. There's almost no sign of them online. They're super secretive. They definitely do not want some journalist coming out and poking around, which is exactly what you did, right, Julia? Yes, I did. And it took me weeks to find anyone that would talk to me. I finally found just this one guy, this person named Larry. He lives out in the mountains on the border of Maryland and West Virginia. And that is how you ended up in your car heading south into Appalachia. I'm on 68, very close to Larry's house. Uh, It is full-on winter here. It's like snow on the ground. I'm following these handwritten directions I have on the seat beside me because my GPS won't take me to the right place otherwise. There are security cameras pointing in every direction. I wonder if you can see me right now. Over some potholes. Whoa, jeez. Okay. And then at the end of this gravel road, I come to a big tin warehouse and I park next to a pickup. As I get up close to the door, I see this sign next to it. It feels kind of like one of those home is where the heart is signs, except this one has a picture of two shotguns on it and says, we don't call 911. Oh, why you Hi. How you doing? I'm oh, very good. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you, Julia. Yeah. Pleasure. For all the security, Larry is a super nice guy. When I get to his farm, he comes out. He's in a hoodie, camel hat, camel boots. And he shows me into his office. Larry's office is like a ginseng museum. He's got roots in jars of alcohol and in glass cases on little red pillows. Larry points to one root on a shelf next to us. He calls it his million-dollar man root because it's shaped like a man, an anatomically correct Man. You got your arms, you got your legs, you got your tallywhacker. Um, I mean, he's well equipped. The whole nine yards. Larry explains that roots that look like humans, they're especially valuable in the Asian market. Roots shaped like bodies are traditionally believed to be good for your whole body. If it's shaped like your arm, it's good for your arm. Shaped like your leg, good for your legs. This is one of my offices down here. It's something that we, that's uh, why I have a lot of pictures and Things like that. There are these pictures of ginseng plants all over the walls. One is of his dad knee-deep in a field of plants. Can you tell me the first time you heard heard the word ginseng? 
I was just little. I don't know when it was. <laughs> Larry has been going out into the woods looking for ginseng since he was a little kid. It's an Appalachian tradition. His grandfather did it. His dad did it. His dad taught him how to do it. When I was a little kid, Dad, he'd always take us out and um, take us ginsenging, along with my three other brothers. And how I learned how to find ginseng, Dad would take us out. Okay, I found one. So then we'd all scramble around, try to figure out, you know, get in front of one another, try to find it. You know what I mean? I asked Larry to give me a quick rundown of how ginseng hunting works. He explains that first you have to have an eye for it. Above ground, the plant is pretty nondescript. It's just a stalk about knee high, some leaves on top. Then when you go to dig it up, you have to be very careful when you extract the root from the dirt. If you damage it, it's not worth as much. Yeah, totally different. While we're standing there in his office... Larry pulls out some root to show me what he ultimately wants to bring home from the woods. Your wild is going to be really dark, deep ringed, unlike cultivated. Wild ginseng. To Larry, the wild stuff, meaning the super valuable stuff, it looks obviously different to someone with a trained eye. And he says wild ginseng is disappearing in Appalachia. There used to be a whole lot more of it growing in the area, and now it's really hard to find wild ginseng in the woods anywhere. Factory farming this route isn't a solution to the shortage of wild ginseng. A lot of ginseng is mass-produced in Wisconsin on big farms, but they dump a bunch of fertilizer on it, and when it comes out of the ground, it looks different to experts like Larry. If you look at the texture of the root, it's going to be more potato skin, slick-type texture mm-hmm. versus your wild, gnarly-type texture. You see your, your Ringo, and it has... Yeah, these um, look totally different. Yeah, totally different. This root looks like the stuff Elsa and I saw in Chinatown in the bins in the back of the store. The cheap stuff. Larry doesn't want to sell the cheap stuff, so over the years, people like Larry developed a workaround. If you plant ginseng in the woods and you don't coddle it with fertilizer, and if you wait 10 years or so, then you can grow something that looks a lot like wild ginseng, which Larry reminds me is important because... Bottom line is... When we harvest this crop, the closer it resembles wild, the more money we're going to receive. And the more money we want. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Larry calls this ginseng he grows in the woods wild simulated ginseng, which sounds like an oxymoron. If it's simulated, then isn't that automatically not wild? But will you just play a game with me here for a second? (laughs) If I took a a seed from one of your plants that, that grows up there on the hillside and I just, I threw it over there on the other side of the parking lot into the woods, what would that be? That would be, in my eyes, I would say that's probably wild ginseng. Okay. Um, If I tilled the soil or like scraped away a hole for it, threw it in that hole, what would that be? Wild simulated ginseng. Okay, and then if I went back and I put fungicides on it, what would that be? Still be called wild simulated ginseng. While we're standing there, I mean, I'm still having a hard time visualizing it. Like, what is wild simulated ginseng? What does that mean? Larry says he'll show me. And we go out to the garage. Where we get into a vehicle I have never really seen before. I don't really know what you call it. Yeah, this will be a treat for you. Yeah, I've never been in something quite like this. It's like a a super souped up ATV. (laughs) You might want to call it that. Hang on. 
So we're looking out at this farm. It basically just looks like woods. See, this all used to be grown all the way out here, as far as we see. Well, um, it looks sort of like woods, but you can tell that some of the brush has been cleared, and there are these straight lines, like raised beds of dirt. Larry won't tell me how much his crop is worth, but he suggests that it's a lot. Once his brother Randy asked him, and here's what he said. I said, Randy, if there's not a million dollars out across there when that's mature ginseng, I'll kiss your ass. So he's got this gold mine in the ground. His problem is that it actually looks so believable as wild ginseng that it invites some trouble. Larry tells me this one story from five years ago. One night, he's at home. And I had detectors that I knew when something was moving. I thought they were deer. So I ignored it. You go back out the next day and, wow, there you've been hit. What did it, what did it look like? Oh, it just where they just dug up all the plants all over. I mean, it's just destruction. And the ginseng is gone. Larry thinks it's probably the neighbors. They've stolen from him before. They'll probably be back. So the next weekend, he's ready. He's at home watching his detectors, and they go off again. At like 11.30, I said, okay, I think they're here. Larry goes down to his property. He looks out into the trees, and sure enough. There was a light. I seen a light hit the trees. And it was down under the bank. So I backed up. I laid down in the weeds, and I called the law. He meets the police up at the road, and they walk back into the woods together. We got down there. This was pitch dark. I said, there they are. As soon as we got about 10 yards from them, you know, police on the ground. And they hit the ground and walked up to him, turned that one guy over. And I said, where are you from? He said, Kentucky. And you could have bought me with a dollar because I thought they was local people. Put them in the jail. It was on Friday night. They charged them. I got restitution. I've never received a dime. So where are they now? They're in Kentucky. And hope they stay in Kentucky. Larry says it's luck for them that he wasn't carrying a weapon. If I had that shotgun with me, the outcome would have been different. And, in fact, Larry tells me a story that everyone in the ginseng business knows. This guy, Bobby Joe Grubbs, he keeps sneaking onto the property of his neighbor, Joseph Cutter, to steal Cutter's ginseng. Cutter, he keeps calling the police. He says the police, they're not responding. And then, one day, Bobby Joe goes missing. The police, they go search Cutter's property, and there, in a mulch pile, they find the dead body of Bobby Joe Grubbs. Cutter had shot Bobby Joe over ginseng. So there's a lot of crime in the ginseng business, and it all goes back to the fact that the business itself is pretty unregulated, which creates some, let's call it, wiggle room. And Larry benefits from this wiggle room. While I'm standing with him back in the office, he pulls a bottle of ginseng-infused moonshine off the shelf, and he holds it up for me to read the label. Harding's Wild Ginseng Moonshine. But you don't have simulated in the title. We have a little dot on that, so it's in the, it's in the, it's in the back wording. You oh, got to read this. through there. You got to put your glasses on for that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, in the see. fine print. In the fine print. Larry has a wry smile on his face when he says this. Like he knows these definitions are a little mushy, but he also says this is just the nature of the business. He always tells people it's wild simulated, not wild, when he sells the ginseng. Sometimes he writes it in that very small print, but he still tells them. This makes me wonder what someone with a trained eye would say about Larry's route. 
So before I leave, I ask him if I can take some with me. Larry's already thought of this, and he goes out to his truck to grab some for me. You just pulled that out of the ground just now? Just a few minutes ago. Okay. And and this has some age to it. This is um, this is roughly 14-year-old root in these beds. To look at this root, there's actually not a dealer in the country that can say, this don't look like wild ginseng. Yeah. Because this looks very much like wild ginseng. Larry also gives me an authentically wild ginseng root so I can compare. And he's right. They look pretty similar to me. But I take both roots with me because I want to check with someone that knows. Next, I go to see a ginseng buyer. I get back on the freeway heading east to a Rust Belt town in Pennsylvania called Bethlehem. So I just pulled off the freeway. The company, TNA Ginseng, is based out of the owner's house. It's a big white house up on a hill. There's chickens outside. And when I park and get to the door, I'm greeted by a woman named Hi. Patsy. I'm Patsy, Julia. Hey, Julia. Like a P, like, like Patsy with a C. <laughs> Patsy, Catsy. Yes. Like cat. Yes. Yeah. C. <laughs> Got it. Oh, hey, Dougie. Okay. The owner of TNA Ginseng is a man named Fung Long. Hi. Hi, how are you? Very well, thanks. I meet him sitting at his kitchen table. He's mostly speaking Mandarin to me, so Katsi is there to help translate. Fung Lam explains his business to me. He buys ginseng from diggers, then they powderize it and make it into capsules. He shows me some of those. Mostly, he says, he sells it to Chinese medicine practitioners inside the U.S. Fung Lam grew up around a lot of Chinese medicine practitioners. His dad was a doctor. He prescribed it. He's been interested in ginseng his whole life. He spent 20 years looking at it and buying it. He's got a very keen eye. I take out the root that I got from Larry. Um, so I actually brought a root with me. Could you look at it? So and, and just tell me, tell me what you see. Fung Lam asks his daughter to bring over his magnifying glass. He inspects the root and he wipes it down with some water. Could you ask him what he's looking looking for? I'm trying to determine whether this is uh, woods-grown ginseng or wild ginseng. Is it woods-grown or wild ginseng? He explains that he's looking at the length of the neck, how close all the little wrinkles are, how deep they are. Ultimately, Feng Lam says he'd need to see a bigger batch. He wouldn't buy it, but he can't be sure how it was grown. Then I bring out the other root that Larry gave me. This is the one that is actually wild. Yeah, so these are... Oh, this is much better. Oh my god. Yeah, this one especially. And it's immediately evident that truly pure wild ginseng, which this root is, it's obvious. So, if you have Jingsen looking like this, he's willing to pay 800 per pound. $800 a pound. You have more? You have more? <laughs> I expected that Feng Lam would have all these questions about where I got the ginseng from. And he does, he wonders, like, where did it grow? But it doesn't seem to actually matter that much. What matters is actually just what it looks like. The price really is based on just how the ginseng appears. Wait, okay, now I'm really confused 
about what is wild ginseng. It's about what it looks like. I thought it was about how it's grown. Yeah, Elsa, that's the thing. Everyone finds this confusing. Which is why when people sell ginseng to each other, the conversation ends up reverting to what they can determine. And that is what it looks like. What is right in front of them. Whether the neck is long and spindly, whether it looks like a human man, whether the tendrils are long and wispy enough. But remember when we were in Chinatown in that ginseng store? If we didn't have someone like Feng Lam at our side, how could we have known whether we should be shelling out $1,000 an ounce or just $9? What are the rules? In a way, we can't really know. We're showing up 3,000 years late to this conversation. What do you mean 3,000 years late? Well, I went out to Appalachia, and I thought I was going to find this story that was going to help me understand what these rules are for the ginseng business. But what I ended up stumbling on was thousands of years of culture and history and belief about what this root can do and why people are willing to pay so much for it. And I don't really know if there are any, like, set-in-stone rules. Let's just have some ginseng. Okay. But after the break. Planet Money TikTok. That's economics. Planet Money TikTok. How did how did you guys get verified? Planet Money TikTok, same great taste, half the calories. Planet Money TikTok, tell your kids to learn. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely the one. Throughout America's history, small choices have compounded into big inequalities. I'm Manoush Zamarodi. How Injustice Gets Ingrained. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Subscribe or listen now. All right. So, Elsa, your mom pumped you with ginseng tea over Christmas? Uh, yeah. This box was waiting for me under the Christmas tree. After my mom listened to me sniffle and cough all Christmas vacation, it contains a hundred bags of ginseng tea, and my mom told me to keep drinking this all vacation. This is a hundred bags of tea, and like a, it's a that's a big box. How much yes. did that cost? My mom says it cost her forty dollars at Costco. Huh. For the entire box, and it's wild. Yeah, so it says. How's your cold now? I still have it. We would like to hear from you. Got a great story idea for us? Let us know at planetmoney at npr.org or find us on Facebook or Twitter. Special thanks to Eric Burkhart. Today's show was produced by Kasia Mihailovich. Alex Goldmark is our supervising producer and Brian Erstadt edits the show. I'm Elsa Chang. And I'm Julia DeWitt. Thanks for listening. 